Thanks, Luis, for the encouragement. It's encouragement and pressure to like really to bring it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Well, hey, good to see all of you. Uh, you know, it's pretty amazing. The um, first night of this. So I've been preaching a long time, like like now, like 20 years, and uh, I tried something on Sunday night that I've never done before, and uh, and that was I'm like I'm gonna use I'm gonna use a manuscript tonight, and it was such a fail for me personally. It was a fail because every time I would look up at you, I would lose my spot because it was just so much in front of me. And then I ended up not really sharing anything on the page, nor really what I wanted to say, because I was stressed out that I couldn't find my place. So at about 20 minutes in, you probably noticed, I just was like, there was an abandonment. And Darcy's like, it was good, but you seemed really stilted, like something else took over your body. <laughs> so it's good to try new things, and you can't teach an old dog new tricks. So uh, tonight we're going to be considering... Um, I, I find this passage really profound uh, because this is the passage in which uh, Jesus speaks to his earthly mother uh, from the cross. And when we really put ourselves in the place of Mary, um, it, it's hard to not be um, overcome by this, this, this incredible grief that she must have felt as a parent to see your, parent, your child sick or dying is horrific enough. But to see your child being tortured and being able to do absolutely nothing to help him. To be a parent is to have dreams. Um, there's something about our kids that it's very easy for us um, to try to place upon them uh, kind of these unspoken dreams that they would achieve things that we never achieved. And, and I think this is, you know, it's a dilemma as a parent because it's great to, to believe wildly for your kids. And it's great to teach them to the best of our ability what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be a productive human being, what it means to be a loving and generous and kind person. But let's be honest. We as parents, especially if you're a person like me who grew up in a very broken household where you had uh, a lot of trauma as a child, you're so desperate to create a, an environment for your kids that's going to be a different story. And that desire is a good desire, but it also can cross the line quickly into, and I'm going to vicariously live through them what I myself never got. And now your dream for your child is actually your dream. And, and your child becomes, in a way, an, a new kind of idolatry. And, and I found myself doing this with my son, Henry. Uh, and I'll just be honest, I actually talked to Henry about this, and I'm like, buddy, is it okay if I share with him? And it's like, yeah, of course. Um, but Henry was an unbelievably um, bright kid, still. And he's a very bright young man, um, but a natural academic. I mean, from the earliest age, he was a speed reader. He learned. Uh, I remember, I'll never forget, I was reading to him... Um, the Chronicles of Narnia when he was like 
three and four, and he loved it. He let me read through all the, first three, I read all of Winnie the Pooh, like all of it, and which I really loved that book. I kind of want to go back to it, but when you're not a parent anymore, you're like, it kind of feels weird to read Winnie the Pooh on your own at 49. Um, so, but when I have grandkids, it'll come out. Uh, but then it was the Chronicles of Narnia, and I remember we got all the way to the last battle, and he was in first grade. Um, and, and he said, he goes, he goes, Daddy, you don't, have to, you don't have to read this to me. And I go, why, buddy? He goes, I, I can read it. And I, would, I just remember like, oh, that's really sad. And, and that kid went on. I remember when he was 11 years old, he read the entire Lord of the Rings like in a week. Like, who does that? <laughs> and, and so I was like, oh, man, I've, I've got a plan for this kid. Um, and what I wanted to be when I was a kid is I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a neurosurgeon, actually. Um, and, and my desire to be a doctor actually was like from probably from sixth grade all the way till I was a junior and the realization that my grade point average was so bad from drug use that, um, that you know, I did get into, you know, pharmaceuticals, but just illegally. Um, <laughs> And unfortunately, it took a massive toll on my education, and not to mention just an unstable home life um, and a lot of insecurity and brokenness and just easy, easily distracted. And I started off high school with a four point and ended with a 1.7, which is pretty strong. <laughs> um, where Hank, you know, full IB program, and the, uh, he was on the Constitution debate team. And so I'm like, he's gonna be a doctor. And I convinced him that he should be a doctor. And then I'll never forget, we were flying to, to the UK. Um, it, was, it was actually January before, um, uh, before COVID broke out. Uh, and um, I, I love to travel with my son. He's just super fun to hang out with. And we're, <laughs> we're on the plane and I was reading this book by my friend um, David Zoll called Seculosity. And in it, he, he talks about uh, seculosity is his way of saying that we are extremely religious. We're no less religious today. We're actually more religious. Uh, we may be abandoning traditional things like Christianity, but we have found plenty of gods to replace Jesus. And he talks about the, the, um, the religion of parenting in today's culture. And, and I, was, <laughs> I was reading that chapter while I was sitting next to him, and it was talking about how we're just stroking our own egos by vicariously hoping that our children, when we don't f fulfill the dreams that we had for ourselves, we just transfer them to our kids. And that becomes the new way in which we're still trying to make a name for ourselves. And I was so convicted, <laughs> Henry was listening to music and I turned, turned to him and I said, hey buddy, can I talk to you? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, do you really, do you even want to be a doctor? And he goes, not really. And I'm like, what do you want to do? And he's like, I, I want to do something in the fashion world. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I, I want, you're going to be awesome at whatever you do. You just do whatever you want, bud. I love you. I'll support you. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for putting that on you. He goes, really? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, how come you never told me before? And he goes, I didn't want to disappoint you. And, that, and that's, the, that's the reality. Of the, and what it was, what was so beautiful is it was a death, my, it was the death of my dream for my son, but what it birthed was, 
was a, a liberation that allowed me to just be his dad rather than trying to live my life through his life. And, and what we have in Mary before the cross is something of the same kind of idea, but on a much grander scale. Because Mary, unlike me, had angelic visitations telling her that she was blessed amongst all women and that she was going to carry the Messiah. But Mary, like every other Jew in that time frame, including those that followed Jesus, had their own ideas of what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah. And I promise you, being crucified as a common criminal was not one of her ideas for her boy. And, and I think that this is, this is a really powerful exploration, this particular passage of A, debunking the concept that to give our lives to Jesus means that we are going to be blessed and to be blessed means we are going to be blessed but we often think that being blessed means being free of suffering and I would argue that our greatest blessings on this side of eternity often come through our greatest suffering and we need a much stronger theology of suffering. Uh, because when suffering really comes, too many Christians just abandon their faith because they believe that God is failing them. But when we think that God says, Mary, you will be blessed. You are going to be blessed. You're going to carry the world's Messiah. I don't know if she would have signed up for that. You know, the famous line, as the Lord has spoken, let it be so in your servant's life. I mean, that was the famous prayer. Like, you said it, you do it. I don't think she would have been like, you do it, had you like, oh yeah, and by the way, you're going to watch him die horribly. It's going to be awesome. Like, that's not what she signed up for. It's kind of like Jesus saying, come follow me, but not telling the disciples where they were going. Because it's not really a compelling thing to grab followers and say, hey, Peter, why don't you stop fishing and come follow me until you're crucified upside down. It'll be great. Um, and, and Jesus doesn't tell us where he's going, not because he is pulling something on us. It's because it doesn't matter where we're going as long as he's the one that's leading and we are following. Because no matter what life brings, uh, he said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. Now, listen to this text. It says in John chapter 19, verses 25 to 27, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Um, I guess first century um, Jews had uh, just a very limited name base for women because um, there's a lot of Marys in the story. I mean, it's like really popular name, obviously, at the time. But three Marys, you know, triune Mary standing before the cross, uh, and, and Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which is John, the writer of this text. Uh, and just so you know, John is not being arrogant by saying that he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was making a statement about his own understanding of how Jesus feels about humanity. That's my personal conviction, is that John is actually trying to teach us something that to be a disciple is to be someone loved by Jesus. To be a human is to be someone that is loved by Jesus. John is just saying, I know that I'm loved, which is one of the key aspects of actually being a man of faith. 
To believe is to believe first and foremost that you are loved on your worst day. Only then will you be able to love God in return and to love others. Um, and, and I think that John is being very wise in that framework. It, he's just stating, he, uh, was, you know, powerful passage. It says that he laid his head on the chest of Jesus. And we as men don't generally, I've laid my head on Evan's chest before. I don't know if he liked it, but I did it because I thought it was funny because we were sitting at a table eating a meal. Um, <laughs> some of you men are uncomfortable with that. And you know what? Maybe sometime if you have dinner with me and I'm sitting by you, we'll just... I'll do it to you just to see what happens. Um, <laughs> but John laid his head on Jesus' chest because it was available. And Tozer's great and famous line that I've shared with the church for the last 13 years, we are as close to Jesus as we choose to be, I think is, is, a, very, is a very true reality. But it says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, doesn't refer to her as mother, the, the relationship is shifting, and we'll get to that. Behold your son, and then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple, John, took Mary into his own home, that she, Jesus takes a break from his own anguish to fulfill his earthly duty to his mother. I think it's important to remember that Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law, but come to fulfill it. What is one of the commandments, the 10 commandments, honor your mother and father. That is a commandment without contingency, which is a hard thing for us if your mother or father weren't awesome. But the reality is, is that is what we're called to do. And Jesus is fulfilling the law all the way to the end. He is the end of the law, if you will. But I think there's something much deeper going on than that. And I think in order for us to, to, to consider that, we have to begin with Mary. Because there are really three players here in this story. You have Mary, you have Jesus, and you have the disciple. Now, there are two other Marys there, but as far as Jesus engaging with, he's speaking specifically to Mary and specifically to the disciple whom he loved. Uh, but really, it's about Jesus and his earthly mother and the shift from son to savior. So, I love this picture. It says, Mary, I love the standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother. Now, when you think about the brutality of the cross, I want you to know the cross, crucifixion was so horrific, a really amazing book actually, just for the intro alone, it, but it is amazing across the world, is a, a book by a guy named Tom Holland called, um, uh, called Dominion. And it's an incredible look at the impact of Christianity upon culture. Rene Girard actually goes so far to say that, that Culture owes, modern culture owes its entire existence to Christianity, regardless of what the press says. It, it, like, literally, there is no aspect of modern Western civilization that has not been impacted by this man, Jesus, who we believe to be also the Son of God. But what I, I love about his intro is he talks about the crucifixion, and, and Holland is not a believer. Um, but he came to the conclusion that he couldn't escape Christianity's influence in every arena of human thought. And he, he was, he's a scholar on Roman history, um, ancient civilization. And he talked about the Romans 
actual use of the cross as a deterrent um, to keep people from rising up against the empire, but it actually was reviled by the Romans as well. So reviled that it's only mentioned literally a few times in, Rome, in Roman literature. Uh, and the reason it isn't mentioned is because it was so foul. It's kind of like, it, it's like we don't talk, I mean, plenty of people do. Usually it's in lowbrow comedy. We don't talk, bathroom humor is super funny for kids. But as adults, it's not like normal conversation, okay? There are certain things that we as humans do that we just think are best not talked about. The cross was treated like that. It actually was considered so offensive. Um, and it was, it was considered by the Romans to be a barbarian way to be killed. And yet they utilized it to maintain control. But they didn't talk about it. They didn't like to walk by it. It created a stench. It'll, the victims would lie tormented. Uh, they couldn't breathe. They would, be, they would be fed on by birds while they were alive. I mean, it was a horrific vision. And you think Jesus had already been brutalized to the point where he's barely recognizable before he was even put on the cross. And, and here his mother is looking at her unrecognizable son, probably struggling to breathe. Um, probably going in and out of consciousness because there's a whole supernatural, spiritual component happening on the cross as well in which he is actually taking into himself the judgment for human sin. But as she is looking at this man, it is a repugnant vision by everyone else. If you saw your child mutilated, you would, I would collapse into an inconsolable puddle on the ground. I would, I would probably just go into shock. I would like pass out. But we're not told that Mary was crying. We're not told that she was collapsed at the foot of the cross in, in, in tears. There's no doubt in my mind that she, was, that she was emotional and it is no doubt that her suffering, I believe her suffering was so deep that it actually stunted a normal response. It was the shock. But there is this commitment I am going to do all that I can to be here with, with my son. The disciples were afraid for their lives. It was dangerous to even be identified with Jesus at this point. They all fled. Jesus himself said, all of you will leave me, but I will not be alone for my father will be with me. Which is interesting because it almost seems like, like the son of God in the surrender of his glory actually a spot that he did not see or did not know was coming is that he actually would experience an aloneness, an isolation, a division even from his father, which is a, a mystery that we will never be able to comprehend. Um, but, and we'll consider that tomorrow night. But here Mary is standing before him and this speaks to something very powerful for us as Christians. To behold is to believe. Standing before Jesus is his mother gazing at the Son of God on the cross. And this is why the cross must remain central for us. When we talk about the resurrected Christ, we talk about the resurrected, crucified Christ. For his resurrection insinuates that he first died. And the cross is 
the door to resurrection. It's the center of the Christian life. Tozer said that faith is the gaze of the soul upon a saving God. John 3, 14 and 15, Jesus said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, remember, the Israelites had rebelled against God. There was a plague of serpents that was going through the camp. And Moses was told to grab a staff and formed a bronze serpent at the, on the staff, which is our, still our symbol for, it's a medical symbol. Um, it speaks of healing. And anyone that would look to the staff, look to the serpent, which is an anti-type of the thing that was killing them, um, would be saved, would be healed. And here Jesus, he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This isn't the lifted up ascension into the heavens. This is the lifted up onto the cross of Calvary. As just as the anti-type Jesus the Son of Man who knew no sin became sin. He takes sin fully into Himself. And on that cross, Mary is looking to Him. And this is a picture of, of the, the gaze of the soul upon a saving Christ. And as she looks to Him, what she doesn't realize in this moment is that her gaze upon Him is actually, is actually going to bring forth the saving reality upon her life, just as it brings the saving reality upon every life that puts their faith in Him. And the picture is a beautiful one because the mother's gaze is something that we have to take into consideration. What's going on in the heart of Mary? What was she thinking about as she looked at the face of Jesus? Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The disciples in fear had abandoned him just as he said they would. But not Mary. Faith, faithless and fearful were the disciples. But Mary still was faithful. Think back on Luke 1 when the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Is this what favor with God looks like? Isn't that a hard word? This speaks to my great struggle with the, the, the famous um, evangelism tool of the spiritual laws. God has a perfect plan for your life. I feel like it's actually a dishonest statement without actually qualifying that statement. I am more than comfortable telling anyone that has not put their faith in Jesus that God has a perfect plan and it is perfect for you, but it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And I think when we hear perfect plan, it means it's going to be good and it is good. But once again, the goodness might come out of first. Actually, it must come out of the crushing. How painful is it to die to ourselves, to die to our dreams? It's crushing. It's, it's dying a thousand deaths. I call it the good death for it's death in the right direction. But it doesn't mean that it's not painful. Do you know how painful it was for me at Christmas to find myself in the ER on Christmas Day because my blood pressure was through the roof because I was in a season of such stress 
over feeling like I was consistently failing as a pastor at Door of Hope and feeling like feeling distant from God and feeling um, struggling in my marriage because I was so deep in my head. My kids thought I was like impenetrable. I just kind of was like this mute person at home. And now I'm being told that like le- legitimately your blood pressure is so high, you could have a stroke at any moment. You got to go like you got to be on medic. It was so high. Literally, it was like if your blood pressure hits the level that mine is at, you're supposed to go to the emergency room immediately. It was like 119 over 176 or something insane. And I, I mean, I could feel it. My heart was racing and I didn't realize I'm having a panic attack. Like I'm, I'm not doing okay. And it took a while for the Lord to help me see that the reason that I wasn't doing okay is because my dream was no longer to be close to him, but to make a name for myself under the guise of doing it in his name. I, now, this is not a mischievous movement on my part. It's just the ease at which even our walk with Jesus, we can lose Jesus in our obedience to him. Because our ministry becomes a replacement for our relationship with him. We have dreams and we have a way, really the deepest dream is to be known, to be loved, to be respected. I still, little Josh, the kid that was terrified of his stepdad that hid under the bed and that was horribly bullied and whose father abandoned him, that little kid, that little boy is still there in my 48-year-old, I'm not 49 yet, I'm going to be 49 next month, 48. I don't need to like start pushing myself towards something I'm not yet. Um, but, uh, but that little boy is still there in, in, in this desire to perform for the, that audience that never noticed me before. There's no one to impress. I can't impress the dad now. He's gone. So now I'm, I'm, I'm here. I, I, I am in this place where I'm, I'm Lord, what you, what's going on? And you know what's, what's amazing about Jesus is that in that crushing pressure is when he moves towards you the, almost the most graciously. It's not like he's like, you're down. He's not Satan. It's not like, I'm going to kick you in the head, boy, now that you're down. You being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? And the best thing you can ask from God is help. I'm sorry. Thank you. Because <laughs> it was about all I could get out of my mouth. And over the last few months, it has been so beautiful to see a, rest- a restoration of intimacy with Jesus. I've just been feeling His presence and just being freed from... I'm not... I don't have anything to prove to any of you. And nor have you ever asked me to. I put that on myself. And I think that this is the, the, the classic reality that our we have dreams are good, but often our dreams, when they're not, our dream is not loving Jesus more and loving others more. And it becomes placed upon our, the own elevation for us to be acknowledged it's like often we become the means by which we are guaranteeing the inability to fulfill the very thing that we want because we are, we are wanting a good thing in the wrong way at the wrong time. This is the essence of sin. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do your best. There's nothing wrong as a preacher to want to preach well. There's nothing wrong 
with, with wanting to do things with excellence. But there's something deeply wrong when it's driven by the desire. It's all driven by a desire to just be acknowledged. And every child wants to be acknowledged by their parent. And God wants to acknowledge you. He wants to love you. But the thing is, is that we don't want his praise. We want the praise of men. And I, I realize that is that I'm, I'm not asking the question, Jesus, are you pleased with me? I'm asking, I'm asking, is everyone else pleased with me? And I'm not sure if they're pleased with me unless they really noticed me. And this is a deep problem. It's, it's, it's the way that Jesus gets a hold of our hearts. But Mary, Mary has a dream too. And Mary's dream, honestly, probably like every, we know for sure it was misguided because she thought Jesus was crazy at one point. Her and Jesus' siblings tried to come and get Jesus from the crowd because they thought he was talking crazy. Because Mary, like everyone else, wanted Jesus to be something that he never came to be. She wanted him to be the Messiah, but her vision of the Messiah was far too small. But understandably, when God moves in our lives and he calls us to something, there's this deep honor when you feel called by God. And every one of you are called by God. Every one of you are loved by him. Every one of you have been gifted in a particular way and to be, and to be utilized by him. But the problem is, is that we often are so busy looking at what our, the person next to us is doing that we fulfill what Rene Girard calls the mimetic reality, our deep desire to have what the other has, to imitate, not Jesus, but to imitate our neighbor. Um, so that we can be what they are. When I became a worship leader, then I was like, well, I don't want to be a worship leader. I want to be a preacher. We always want whatever it is we're not doing. And then we're doing it, and I'm like, I mean, let me just tell you, I've been really honestly asking the question, like, wait a minute, Jesus, doing worship was so, it was so chill. <laughs> what, why am I like a glutton for punishment? But that's the reality of like, of moving into things, often moving outside of what God has for us, trying to fulfill our own dreams instead of letting Jesus be the heart of our dream. And here we find Mary. And wouldn't you have all kinds of expectations if angels appeared to you and you gave birth to someone being a virgin? That's pretty crazy. I don't think it would be, it's inappropriate for Mary to have expectations. And then you think about this though. What was, what was Mary told? Simeon in Luke 2 said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many of Israel as a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Mary was told that Jesus, her son, would be a sword that pierces her heart. I believe, and it says she hid these things in her heart. Again, when Jesus... Uh, disappeared from Mary and Joseph when he was 11 and found at the temple blowing the, the, the teachers of the day away with his, with his depth of understanding. And Mary and Joseph said, why did you leave us, son? And he said, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And what did, what did it say about Mary? Mary said, it, it, it said that Mary hid these things in her heart. It's all coming together right now. She's watching, and I, I think that this is faith at its most intense testing. Because she had just walked away. Is this his father's business? 
Is this the father? How could this be the father's business? And how am I blessed amongst all women to be watching my son tormented now? Can you imagine? Jesus is often called the son of sorrows, but there is no doubt that Mary was the woman of sorrows as well. She treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart, we're told. Again and again, Luke 2.19, Luke 2.51, this is the reality. Mary's heart now is broken. She had gathered it up into her heart, and now she is watching her dream crushed, and it is broken. But this is the beautiful thing, is I believe that only a broken heart can receive a crucified Christ. The problem is, is that we are constantly trying to receive Christ with a divided heart. And that is why Christ continues to be elusive to us. But it's the broken heart. And what does it say about Jesus? It says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved stand there, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And just keep in mind that Jesus, when Mary came to Jesus and he performed his first miracle, which is a great one, he made wine. Because wine makes the heart merry in moderation. Um, uh, and and, and he, he makes the wine, but what does he say? He goes, woman, my time has not yet come. The moment he entered into public ministry as the Messiah, the relationship of mother-son transformed. I don't believe Mary understood this, but Jesus was not trying to be disrespectful. What he was trying to show her is the thing that we need to understand in this story is that Mary needed the same thing that everyone else needed. Salvation from herself. From herself. She needed to be saved like everyone else. And Jesus is letting her know now, yes, you're my earthly mother, but we're not talking about mother-son anymore. We're talking about Savior, child of God. And this is a powerful picture because Mary thinks that she's about to lose her son. And there is this very practical reality. Mary provides an, a literal home for her in having John take her into his home. And this is really, it's a beautiful thing. He does fulfill the law. But I think there's something much more profound there's something about the gazing upon Christ in our brokenness that opens up a legitimate understanding, though not necessarily the removal of suffering, there, it opens up the legitimate understanding that He cares about us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. He cares for you. Your problems matter to him and he doesn't necessarily guarantee someone's sick with cancer he doesn't promise healing i just had this conversation it's amazing to me that there are so many christians that are convinced that healing is always the outcome of legitimate faith well that doesn't even make sense because everybody dies so clearly whether he heals you once or not like the, the bottom line is is we still are products of a world in which all of creation groans and is the, the, the second law of thermodynamics is being played out in our lives. I see it being played out. In my, not, nowhere was it being played out more fully for me personally, who in my mind, I view myself as still in my 20s. 
was when COVID started and all of a sudden I had to look at my dumb face every day on video to be reminded that I'm becoming, a, I am, I can't even say it, a middle-aged man. <laughs> I was like, who is this dad? <laughs> I'm like, I never wanted to be that guy, like dad bod, dad face. I'm like, I was so disappointed in myself. I was like, just horrified. I'm like, oh, I just came home just defeated every day. I mean, it's like, it's, it's caused all kinds of problems. I'm like looking online for like how to, you know, stop your hair from receding any further. Like, you know, is it appropriate for, for me to get liposuction? Is that a sin, Lord? Um, like, I, you know, if I could just, you know, clean up this face a little bit, just remove some lines under the eyes. I, you know, it was a really terrifying thing. But it doesn't matter. Jesus could heal me of back pain, which he did. He did. You know what? It's funny. He healed me. Years. Guess what I have right now? Back pain. Because it's an inevitability. It's, even if he heals you, it, you're going to get sick again. You're, gonna, you're, you're still going to die. Even if he raises you from the dead. Good for you. Because you're still going to die. Like, that's the bottom line. Because it's been appointed once for man to die, then comes the judgment. That's what we're told. And I think that this is a, a, a problem because what did Mary want in that moment? What did she want? Jesus is going to provide for her, but what she wants provided for her, and this is part of that crushing, and this is the beauty of Mary's faith, the refusal to look away. She doesn't leave Jesus until he commands her to leave. Is that... Is, is, that as she is looking at the provision is not what she hopes, which is, I want you to, if you're the Messiah, just come down from the cross. Just heal yourself. I just want you. And that's the right thing to want, but she wanted it in the wrong way. You know, it's like after he rises from the dead and Mary uh, Magdalene wraps her arms around him and he says, he says, don't, don't embrace me yet. Like it's like, you're missing the point. Like you think I'm just back. And I am back, but I'm going to come back in a way that you have not yet understood. See, here is the thing, is that Mary thought she was losing her son, which she was, but she was gaining a savior. And she is provided a home, but that's just a literal metaphor of what was actually going to be a new home which was her very body. This is the most profound thing. Jesus is, the very thing she wanted more than anything was to have him with her, was going to come to her in a way she had never experienced before. Because Jesus says, whoever believes in me and keeps my commandments, I will come to him and her and I will make my home within them. And this is the powerful mystery of the death of the dream that was the lesser dream to have the real dream revealed as the ultimate reality. It's not even a dream. It's real. And that's a beautiful thing. And honestly, it's kind of sad that you aren't all doing exactly what Luis is doing right now. Because that's the best freaking news you're going to get ever in your life. <laughs> hey, I'm not trying to provoke you. Remember, we, we're, we're charismatic with a seatbelt. Um, 
we're, we're awkwardly Portland charismatic, which is like, I'm standing up and screaming on the inside just as long as no one notices. Because <laughs> I might, you know, what if I'm a, you know, it's like, I don't want to cry in front of people because I might be an ugly crier. <laughs> Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And his care is not necessarily the relief from the storm, but it'll be like, like a tornado. Jesus brings us the peace in the midst of it. It's the quiet center in the center of the storm. And the best place to be is not on the fringes in hiding, turning away from, because it's hard to watch someone die. I just did it. It's really hard to look into the face of someone as they take their last few breaths, especially when it's family. I, I can't tell you how hard it was to look into my father. I wanted to look, honestly, I wanted to look away. He couldn't breathe and I wanted to look away because it was so hard. But I forced myself to stare into his eyes because it was my responsibility as a son and I didn't want him to die scared. I wanted him to know that he was loved and I wanted to be an, an honest reflection of, I knew that Jesus was there with him looking at him through my eyes. And I believe what my dad saw in my willingness to be obedient, to be there with him and to look into his face as he took his last few breaths is I believe that my dad saw Jesus saying, come home. But it's not easy and it hurts, but it's also weirdly healing. And it gives me a weird peace that I didn't have before. Our God is a God of comfort. Jesus is comforting and providing for his mother. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation. But why? That we may be able to comfort those who are also in trouble. And that is the beauty of what John does. Because John shows us something beautiful as well. Is that belief leads to obedience. Because he immediately obeyed his Lord. And why did he obey him? Because he, was, he knew he was the one who was loved by him. Because God loves each one of you as if you're the only ones to love. That is a beautiful reality. Augustine was right in saying that. And, and he from that day takes him home. And I think that this is the picture that we have to have. When we look at the provision on one side, we are reminded that God cares and he wants to be involved in the details of our lives. But on the other side, it tells us to put away our needs and focus on the needs of others. And I think that Hebrews 10 tells us that let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. The obedience of John leads us in closing to the loneliness of Jesus. Because Mary was there to comfort Jesus in his suffering, but Jesus in turn brings his comfort to her. But I don't know that it was probably that much of a comfort for Mary to have to walk away from him before he was dead. But she obeyed him. And Jesus was finally left alone because what Jesus was doing on the cross was something that only he could do. And this tells us something really important about the gospel. You can't add a darn thing to it. Not a thing. That's why one of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther ever is, everything that needs to be done has been done in Jesus. That is grace. That's the gospel. Grace is a love that comes to us 
when we are at our most unlovable. And so we have the mother of Jesus now becoming the believer in the, in the true Messiah, the Messiah of the world, the Savior of the world. And her, like everyone else on the day of Pentecost, received her son right back into her home, but the new home was her very body. Jesus wants to be with you in your suffering. And I don't know what your suffering might be. Maybe you're not in a season of suffering because life is not all suffering. Life is, I think the world is the best and the worst kind of all the time. And we think about the Ukraine, think about the reality of families losing. It's, it's a hard thing for us to get our heads around. There is a war going on that actually is threatening the stability of the entire world right now. There's the end of a pandemic and now we got cities putting, going back to masking already because there's a new strain. And it, there's so many things that want to just grab your heart and cast so much fear upon you. But the fact is, is that we already know the end of the story. And Jesus already told us that life is going to be hard. And he told us that before his return, which this is an apocalyptic age, and it would, you're hard-pressed to not think that we are quickly moving toward the culmination of all things, which means the time is short. Today is the day of salvation. And Jesus wants to come into your life and make his home within you. And if he, you already have him within you, but you forgot that he's a, a resident because you, you've, you're still holding on to dreams that are less than Him, then I just encourage you to die the good death. And tonight as we close in worship, I encourage you to just take time. If you need prayer today, there's going to be people that would love to pray with you. On this. I think they're going to be on the sides. Um, but, but if you need prayer, or just pray with one another as you worship the Lord. What is it, what is it that's hurting you right now? Don't think that Jesus doesn't care about it because you're still hurting. He just, what he says is, I'm going to be with you in it. And I'm going to actually, I'm going to shape you through it. Because suffering builds character as we persevere. And what we can have while we're suffering is peace. And that is something that I can promise because Jesus himself is our peace. Who has torn down the middle wall of separation. So let's pray.